This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, chastity speaker Jason Everett talks about how we are all made for love. Jason has spoken about the virtue of chastity to more than one million students on six continents. He is the author of more than 10 books, including How to Find Your Soulmate Without Losing Your Soul, as well as the curriculum You, Life, Love, and the Theology of the Body. Jason has a master's degree in theology and an undergraduate degree in theology and counseling with a minor in philosophy from Franciscan University of Steubenville. He lives with his wife, Crystalina, and their children in Arizona. Jason will be the featured speaker at a Purified event at 7 p.m. Monday, March 30th at Immaculate Heart of Mary Church in Hayes. Jason is being interviewed by me, Donetta Robin, as well as Tucker Mall, a committee member of the Purified event. I'm Donetta, and I'm sitting here in the studio. I also have Tucker Mall with me. Hi, Jason. Good to meet you. Hi there. Likewise. (laughs) Now, Tucker's on the committee that's really promoting you back here. And just for your kind of background, I'm like, you know, I'm 62 years old. Tucker's young, has three small children, six, four. Six, four, and two. Two. I'm 32 years old, so. So we thought we'd bring different perspective in asking questions, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Okay. But, you know, I am so curious. I've, I've heard your story and um, your wife's story. Well, I've heard your wife's story. I heard you and your wife talking about um, how the two of you met and um, kind of a little bit about your background. But I'm really curious because you, how did you get, you were doing this before you met Crystalina, right? Yes, yes. I was, um, uh, I worked for Catholic Answers in San Diego and I had started doing this several years before that we met, and I, we actually met at a chastity conference that I was speaking at uh, for leaders uh, who were learning how to you know, promote abstinence or chastity in their towns. Okay, so I'm thinking in high school, you're forming kids, and what do you want to get into? You don't just say, hey, I want to go out and speak in chastity, <laughs> right? Yeah, so was, so how, did you, fall, how did you fall into it, I guess, is what I'm asking. Uh, well, when I was in uh, high school, I kind of would help out with high school retreats. Then when I got to college, I led the retreats uh, for different high school youth groups. And the kids would really open up to me about the different things they were struggling with. And, you know, so many of their struggles had to do with chastity and that no one was really giving them any guidance on that. Uh, and then I was also doing sidewalk counseling where I was talking to women uh, in front of an abortion clinic about different options that they could make instead of that. And I just... Yeah, I did that for three years, and I just felt late, you know, meeting a woman, and she's having an abortion in 45 minutes. Well, why couldn't I have met her when she was 15? Because maybe if I had met her then, talked about chastity to her then, you know, maybe she would have never dated this guy and be in this difficult situation today. So I realized that save the most unborn babies, you got to swim upstream um, instead of kind of like throwing sandbags on the banks of a flooded river. you got to go upstream to where the dam is broken which in my eyes was unchast. So you were working for Catholic Answers. Were you doing high school retreats, and then you went to work for Catholic Answers, or was it both at the same time? Yeah, well, I, I was at Franciscan University of Steubenville, which is okay. where I was helping out on the retreats and doing sidewalk counseling. And after I finished my studies there, I was hired by Catholic Answers to do apologetics and evangelization and writing and speaking, and I told them why. You know, my heart's really with the hearts with the high school kids. That's that's who I want to be with the most. And and so the doors started opening up for me to speak at an assembly here and there. Um, and then before you knew it, it just kind of snowballed into you know a hundred thousand students a year. And I've been doing that wow. now for twenty one years. Wow. 
I've uh, I listened to your podcast with Matt Frad and and your experience and your knowledge on this topic goes so beyond what the church teaches and things. How do you cram all of that information into an hour topic that engages uh, the kids and and challenges the parents to to follow up with them? You know, I mean, a lot of people think that for some reason I have a difficult job bringing the message of chastity to teens, but I think of it as almost the easiest job. It's almost like you're handing out steaks in Somalia, some famished country. Uh, I mean, these kids are starving for love. You know, as I see it, their hearts are made for love. Their minds are made for the truth. And chastity offers them both. And so these kids are hungry. I mean, they're coming, many of them, from broken or dysfunctional families. Uh, Many of them have had plenty of broken hearts themselves. And they want to know how to make love work. They want to know what dating is supposed to look like because it's it's a dumpster fire right now as far as teen relationships go and even adult relationships go. I've, you know, come to kind of see it as that, you know, we have a culture of single people who pretend like they're dating. Then we have a culture of dating people who behave like they're married. And we're stuck with a culture of married people who seem to think they're single. Everything's out of order. And yeah. so the teens know it. And, uh, and so I, I find that they tend to be very receptive to this message. And so I try to figure out, okay, you know, what is it the kids need to hear? Well, you know, it's a lot. They need to hear on, uh, you know, when it comes to pornography, on how to start over, on modesty, on you know, so many different issues. Um, but I find if you come at them not wagging a finger, but just being vulnerable and honest and open with them yourselves, the kids receive that really well. I always say my generation kind of messed it up growing up in the 60s and 70s. And now we have to look to the kids to actually change the culture around again. But that's not the message they're getting from the culture. There's so much material out there that just how they dress, just it's a hookup culture in college. I mean, how do you counter all that? Yeah, it's tough because, I mean, it's on every layer of the media. I mean, you look at the sports stars they look up to, like I just saw, you know, the on, on ESPN the other day that Dwayne Wade, the basketball star, one of the, his uh, daughter's gender identity, uh, meaning he has a child who was born one sex and then now identifies a different gender. And now he's helping that child to identify with their true gender. But in reality, he's not helping them identify with their true gender. He's just giving them permission to reject it. You know, and I'm sure he cares about that child very much. But, you know, when we see our, you know, heroes and sports stars falling into these lies that are fed to the culture that, you know, that there's a whole spectrum of genders. And I mean, Facebook says there's 58. Facebook in the U.K. is up to 71 genders. I mean, the young kids are just trying to navigate through all this stuff at a time of self-discovery of adolescence that's confusing enough as it is. And so it's an uphill battle, but, you know, the the truth of the church's teachings and the goodness and really the beauty of it, I think, speaks more eloquently than anything. As the culture becomes more obscene and, and more out of whack, does your message become easier because it is so truthful or are the so. kids still fighting against it? No, I mean, it's, it's not the kids fighting against it. It's the administration. The, the kids are the easy ones. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, yeah, they come into the gym. Oh, here we go. You know, dumb chastity talk. But within a few minutes, you know, they're on board and then they line up afterwards and they want, you know, hugs and they want to talk and they want selfies. And, you know, they're on board. The, the challenge is the administration of saying, nope, we don't need that at the school. No, we don't agree with the church of teachings on this and that. And so we're not going to have a chastity talk. 
And so a lot of these schools, you know, will, will say no. I mean, I was recently invited to speak in Ireland and a university out there caught wind that I was coming and they banned me from campus from speaking. They blocked the presentation and then a bunch of a hotel. Uh, the media kind of came after this one hotel. Wait a minute, you're going to host them at your hotel? And the hotel's like, look, we're out of here. We cancel. You know, you can't even speak at our hotel. And then some of the Catholic high schools started backing out. And it was crazy because, like, the university announced one of the LGBT groups on campus said, you know, we just want to thank everybody for cooperating in this this team effort to, to block you know, Mr. Everett from coming and speaking because we now we truly show how that we're truly a diverse and inclusive community. And it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, you, you won't let somebody and that diversity and exclusivity or inclusivity. You know, it's, it's exclusivity. It's like we agree with everybody as long as they agree with us. And uh, so it's, you know, it's been a challenge, not so much with the teens, but getting to the teens because the administrators. That's just crazy. I mean, if a speaker was coming to speak on weight loss or on finances or how to change your life for the better uh, through any other type of suffering, there's no way there would be that kind of backlash. But as soon as you're coming to talk about sexuality and purity, you're, you're labeled a terrorist almost. Like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, no, it, it strikes a nerve, unfortunately. And, you know, as sad as it is to say, sometimes in these schools, even the Catholic schools, the adults need a chastity talk perhaps more than some of the kids do. Because just because they're on administration, even at a Catholic school, doesn't mean they embrace the fullness of the church's teachings on these subjects. And so that can create a real difficult dynamic when you've got one or two of them up at the top of the administration, and, and, and they're not on board with what the church teaches with regard to these things. So why do you think society as a whole, but, you know, this just really amazes me because it's coming from Catholic what institutions, that, that just really is upsetting. But why do you think that so many people in our culture are obsessed with what, is there like a lot of money tied up in the sex culture or what's what's going on that this topic is so bullied, I guess. I, I, think, I, I think what it might be is that, you know, God has made us rational beings and our beliefs need to line up with our behaviors. Uh, and when those two are not in line, one of them has to go. We either have to get rid of our behavior or we have to get rid of our beliefs. And it's a lot easier to chuck your beliefs than it is to chuck out your behavior. And so uh, what ends up happening is people will distance themselves from what the church teaches and say, well, that, you know, the rigidity of the church's teachings, that's the problem. It's, it's not my behavior. You know, it's not my unwillingness to obey. Um, it's the church. The church is unrealistic. Um, but, you know, the, the gospel and its fullness has always been demanding. But in the same respect, it's good news. I mean, the church's teachings on homosexuality is good news. The church's teachings on contraception or abortion are good news. Now, some might say, well, that's, that's easy for you to say because you're not the, you know, single unwed pregnant mom. You're not the guy experiencing same-sex attractions. You know, you know what, what can you really say on that? But the fact is that chastity is a virtue that all people are called and challenged to embrace regardless of their state of life. And anyone who's tried to practice it knows it's difficult. This requires dying to self, and it requires me to trust God with my body. And that's really the bottom line to all of this. Like, do I trust God with my sexuality? Do I trust him with my body? Or do I still think I know what's best for me? And if we can trust the Father, you know, to be the Lord of our whole life, I mean, because we might sit there in the kitchen and say, oh, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, okay. 
is he lord in the kitchen, but is he not lord in the bedroom? Like, are we going to give him lordship over every aspect of our marriage, of ourselves? And to me, that's it's a true sign of worship to say, like, I, I surrender my whole body to you because I trust you and I know that you created me and have a plan for me. And so, you know, even though the gospel is demanding, it is good news. So, um, as Donetta mentioned earlier, I have young children, six, four, and two. When can I start? How early can I uh, start forming my children for purity? Well, I say get going. <laughs> you know, to me, it's not so much when do I have the birds and bees talk, um, because every kid is unique in that respect. Like some kids are could care less, you know, and they're, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, and they don't even care. And then you'll have other kids that are like eight years old, like, no, I know, I know God put the baby in there, but how? No, Mom, how did God put the baby in there? Oh, well, God did it with love. No, how did God do it? You know, so some kids will be really precocious, and that's why the parents are the primary sex educators, you know, not anybody else. Not the church, not the government, not the schools. It's, it's the parents. And the parents alone, you know, would best have their finger on the pulse of, of that child and, and how to preserve that child's innocence as long as it should be. You know, with that having been said, I'd like to recommend you start early with the kids of, you know, different parts of the body. Now, that's not a dirty body part. It's not a bad body part. Like, that's the wrong way to look at all these things, that there's some parts that are dirty and bad. But we explain modesty in the body as a gift. There's great books you could read to kids, like The Princess and the Kiss or The Squire and the Scroll. These are excellent little books that you could read to kids, you know, at, you know, three, four, five years old that introduce them to the topic of chastity without having to get into the biology and the birds and the bees. And so to me, it's not so much like, when do I give my kid the talk? Like it's some chastity bomb you drop on your 13-year-old's going to inoculate him from lust forever. Okay, so you're talking to young people. Why should they strive for purity? Well, one thing to understand is that chastity is not this prudish, negative, repressive idea about our sexuality. It's a virtue that frees us to love, and it frees us to know if we're authentically being loved. I can't say no to my sexual desires. My yes to them means really nothing. And so in order to make a gift of myself, I have to have enough self-control of myself. And so it can free us to love, but then it also frees us to know if we're being loved. I think a perfect example of this is I was speaking at a, uh, a public high school, and a girl came up dating this controlling, possessive, abusive guy treats her like garbage and i said sweetheart you know you deserve so much better than him why don't you break up and she said i can't break up i've given him you know my virginity i've given up my friends and my you know reputation i just can't let go of it all and i said look i know it's difficult but just tell him no more sex watch what happens and she said okay i'll do that and she took off her necklace and she gave it to me and he said he makes me wear this he's really possessive i don't want it anymore and she gave it to me and then she went away and five minutes later she came back just happy as can be. And she said, I dumped him. I said, that was quick. She said, yep. I told him no more sex. He slammed his locker shut. He threw a book at me. He said, where's your necklace? And she said, I gave it to the chastity guy. <laughs> and so you see what happens is like, she tested his love. Like, do you love me? Do you want me? Or do you only want the pleasure that you're getting from me? And so with a lot of these guys, they don't really love the girl any more than a smoker loves cigarettes. Like, smokers don't love cigarettes. They just love the feeling they get from the nicotine. If As soon as they're done with that, they just flick it to the curb because it's not the cigarette they're after. And a lot of girls feel like that after they've been discarded after a broken sexual relationship. They're like, wow, I feel like 
we were both in this relationship for the same person, which is him, you know, and he really didn't want what's best for me. He just wanted what felt good to him. And so they can understand quickly how this virtue of chastity would bring the man's intentions to the surface and the woman's likewise to see if they truly love you or they might simply want to only use you. So what are some of the psychological effects, do you know, on women when they break up a sexual relationship like this girl did? Yeah, well, I mean, breaking off an unhealthy sexual relationship obviously will have beneficial psychological effects because it's not prolonging this unhealthy dynamic, although the breakup can be difficult because when people become sexually active, in particular the girls, they bear a heavier burden. Uh, I always said sex is sexist, that girls always pay the biggest price. And so if a girl becomes sexually active, the younger she becomes sexually active, the more likely she is to have more breakups, STDs, out of wedlock pregnancy, become a single mom, live under the poverty level, be depressed, attempt suicide, have an abortion. I mean, the numbers go on and on, showing the longer she waits to have sex, the happier the life she's going to have. Like if a girl starts becoming sexually active at age 12, like seventh grade, on average, they'll sleep with about 21 different men in their lifetime. If she simply postpones sexual activity for simply a span of just four years, not that that's the ideal, but just wait four more years, and her number of sexual partners will drop down by almost 10. And so, you know, it's going to have a drastic effect, you know, physiologically when you look at the the side effects of the STDs, is the emotional toll forces. Because I don't think a girl's heart is really intended to be that close and then pulled away uh, like that. And so uh, the abstinent girls, um, you know, tend to have higher self-esteem. They don't have to, you know, they're busy worrying about their math test instead of their pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. And so, but the good news is that anybody can start over. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. Uh, Every morning, God's mercies are new. And so everybody can begin again. Um, But, you know, this average 16-year-old girl, she doesn't need to be struggling with this stuff right now. If a guy really loves her, then he's going to show her love in other ways than sexual right now. I I just finished a a book by Dr. Meg Meeker. She's a a pediatrician, and uh, she said that she would rather have her teenage girls smoke from the ages of 16 to 20 than be sexually active from 16 to 20. And uh, you mentioning cigarettes earlier just kind of brought that to my mind. Yeah, no, and, and, and she knows what she's talking about. I mean, I've, I've read some of her books before. I just actually ordered one the other day that recently came out. I'm looking forward to reading that one. She's got so much experience, you know, with counseling these single, young girls. And, I mean, I know of some psychologists who say they won't even begin to treat girls for anxiety and depression unless they're willing to be abstinent. Because if they're unwilling to stop sexual activity, and the counselor's got to sit there and try to solve their anxiety and depression problems, it's like they're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic because so much of their anxiety and body issues and depression are coming from these emotional soap opera relationships they're, they're, they're leading. And this isn't really what the girls want anyway. It's not. I mean, 16-year-old girls are not desiring hookup after hookup. They want to feel wanted. They want to feel desirable, beautiful, and loved. And if they think, well, this is the currency I need to exchange in order to receive that feeling, then I guess I need to pay the price. And so we need to be able to show these girls that, hey, you know, you desire more than just a feeling of being wanted and desirable. In fact, there was a study of college students, and they asked them, how do you feel after a hookup? Two percent of them felt desired 
and only five percent felt proud. You know, so it doesn't it doesn't give us these things. And if we can just you know boldly and confidently and lovingly tell these people there's a better way, they want to because the majority of high school students are virgins. Teen sexual activity rates have been dropping for about thirty years straight, and so and most high school students who have had sex privately admit they wish they waited longer. It was kind of a disappointment. And so what this means is most high school students are either not sexually active or regret having become sexually active, which means it's a very vocal minority that's making them think that this is a fulfilling lifestyle. When they really get past that, get down to reality, the the teens want this message of authentic love. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more about Made for Love with Jason Everett. We're back on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. One Body. Made for Love. One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. With Jason Everett. One Body. Donetta Robin and Tucker Mall conduct the interview. Stewarding God's Creation. What role does a mother and father play in in modeling purity to help their children not engage in sexual activity as teens? Well, I would say that, you know, the kids are not always going to obey you, but they'll never fail to imitate you. And so this virtue of chastity is not something that like, hey, kid, you know, you need to do this. It's like, okay, well, is dad practicing it? You know, what's dad looking on at his on his computer at 11 o'clock at night when the kids are asleep? Like, if the kids could see everything that he did, would, would they be more inspired to live the virtue of chastity because he's living it out himself? Or is he setting up a double standard that, like, you guys need to live this way, but, hey, uh, I'm an adult, and so I've got certain privileges. Like, no, no, no. We're all in this together. And that's why, like, I recommend for adults, like, get, get things like covenant eyes on the family computers and phones to block this junk and hold everybody accountable to the exact same standard. Because, you know, God calls us to one standard, you know, to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And, and with His grace, you know, that, that's, that's a realistic calling that He's asking us to live out. Uh, and so parents need to live it out. It's not something that ends once you get married. Okay, I got married. I'm done with that chastity thing. It's like, no, the, the demands of authentic human love, reverence for the gift of sexuality, is something that we need to practice throughout our lives. And, and kids will pick it up. You know, if, if mom and dad are embracing this virtue and you know, hey, the Super Bowl, you know, halftime show comes up and dad gets up, turns off the TV or walks out of the room. Well, that says something, mm-hmm. you know, versus the dad who just sits on the couch and, oh, boy, you know, look how bad that is. Like, well, no, I'm not going to tolerate this in my house. Kids need to see someone willing to live it out themselves. So many of our young people nowadays, they come from broken homes. Parents are divorced or they're raised by grandparents or some other relatives. Is it more difficult to get them to see that they're made in God's image and and to practice uh, chastity? Well, there's definitely an additional challenge there, because I remember hearing someone once say that, you know, your relationship with God kind of begins where your relationship with your earthly father leaves off. And if your dad is absent or he's abusive or impossible to please or condescending or or what have you, uh, a lot of the kids will naturally impose those attributes upon God. 
that if my earthly father, who's supposed to be an image of the heavenly father, is absent and unprotective and self-absorbed, well, I guess that's kind of what God is. You know, how do you imagine a godly love that's, that's you know, tender and compassionate and all these things when the earthly icon of that love is so much the opposite? And so there's, there's obviously an additional challenge that's going to take place there. But nonetheless, these kids' hearts long for love. I remember one boy coming up to me and he said, you know, I know what you mean about divorce. He said, Jason, my dad is on his ninth marriage. And this boy is like 16 years old. And, you know, you think he might be like jaded and disillusioned about love, but he wanted it. Like he knew that it, it must be out there because like, he's made for it, but he's just never seen it in his own house. And so I think we can kind of take some of these wounds that the young people have gone through where they've had to grow up perhaps a little bit too fast and show them, hey, it doesn't always have to be like this. This isn't how it needs to be. Like there's a brighter future. There's, you know, you, you're, you don't have to have the marriage that your parents had. You know, you don't have to have the, the, the ruined relationships that you've seen for generations. You can build something better, but we've got to be able to give them the tools to accomplish that. So how do you deal with that, Dad? I mean, you're the, you've got a few kids, right? And you get to be the vision of their heavenly father here on earth. That's a, that's a big weight to carry on your shoulders. How do you handle that? Well, I think one of the things we've got to realize is that although that's our calling, we fall short. And so they need to hear things like, I'm sorry. You know, do you forgive me? I forgive you. I love you. Like, they need to hear that stuff. Like, if you ever think your teenager is not a good listener, ask for their forgiveness for something. I mean, you'd be surprised how good they can listen when, you, when it's a mom or dad saying sorry for something. And so we need to be able to teach them mercy, not by just being merciful ourselves, but asking them for mercy for the times that we fail. Or, you know, I, yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't raise my voice like that, you know, and I'm sorry this, or I'm sorry that, and, um, you know, then because I think if your kids can go off to college and they know how to say, I love you, I forgive you, and I'm sorry, you know, I think they're going to have a pretty decent marriage. Like, but if they leave and go off to college, they don't know how to say those things. I mean, good luck, you know, in that, that kid's vocation. And so, you know, we try to teach the kids like young, like, you know, this one hit that one. And, okay, say sorry. And the kid's like, sorry. I'm like, no, 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 a real sorry. Sorry. No, look him in the eyes. You know, it might take four, five, six tries, but, you know, eventually get him to, okay, now do you forgive this person? And, you know, trying to walk him through that stuff. And, you know, if, if things are not going well in the family, don't be afraid to go to counseling. You know, my wife and I are very open and honest that, like, we've gone to marital counseling before because marriage is, like, really hard work, you know, and, and, and we need help in this sometimes. And so we shouldn't be ashamed of that, but to be able to see have kids see, okay, you know, it might be difficult at times, but, you know, we're going to fight for this because the family's worth fighting for. In your experience of talking with teens and parents, because you prefer the teens and the parents to be together, is that correct? Yeah, we like when they come to the presentation together. We'll typically put the teens in the front of the church or the hall and then the, the parents right behind them. But parents need to hear what we're saying to the teens. And on the drive home, what did you think about this? What did you think about that? Like, that's the doors of communication that need to be open. So we, right. we kind of use the teens as bait to get the parents to show up because so many of these parents, you know, I'll ask them, like, how many of you were given by your parents, you know, some clear, adequate, and convincing explanation of the church's teaching on chastity? And it's like 1% of them. But then here they are being expected to give to their kids what was never given to them during a time in history that makes it more difficult than ever for kids to be pure. And so we want the parents to hear what the kids are hearing, 
and then to be able to open up those doors for conversation uh, for them to continue to talk about these things. So I'm curious, do you ever have parents come up to you after a talk because they've never heard this this um, message before? Oh, that's the first thing they say. Like, I wish I heard you, you know, 20 years ago. I mean, it's the first thing the parents say. Like, man, my, my life would have been very different, you know, had I heard this in high school. You know, I mean, so I'll come up and say, like, I don't think my marriage would have even happened in my divorce if I had heard this talk when I was in high school. And so they tend to be extremely grateful that someone's kind of, you know, supporting them in this. Because a lot of times the kids are like, oh, well, mom, dad, you know, you got to say this. But then to have someone come in from the outside and be like, no, 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 like, hey, th- this works. Like, this is this is the path to go, and it's not one you're going to regret. And, you know, the presentation has lots of humor. It's fun. The kids enjoy it. You know, the the, the parents just kind of give you a big big handshake and a hug. You're like, thank you. You know, w- you know, our family kind of needed this right now. And you always tell, like, for the parents, you can always start again, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the kids need to see that lived out in the parents' lives as well, that, hey, you know, maybe I haven't done this perfectly, but up and now, but, you know, I'm willing to start trying something new. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I do talks to parents and married couples, you know, I often say to them, like, you know, I, you know, this is nice now. I wish I heard this 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But, you know, you look at the wedding feast of Cana and Jesus saves the best wine for last. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. sometimes he lets us make some mistakes and fumble along the way, you know, for his, his mercy and his province to shine in a unique way through us. And, you know, we might have preferred this squeaky clean, perfect love story, but oftentimes it just doesn't work like that. And, you know, love is messy sometimes. G.K. Chesterton said marriage is an adventure like going to war. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, St. Francis de Sales. He said marriage is the greatest form of mortification on earth uh, because there's no state in life in which there's more frequent mortifications required. And so, you know, it's going to be tough. We're going to trip. We're going to fall. Um, but the kids need to say, hey, we, we can get up together. And like, let's go to fa- let's go to confession together as a family. So when we have these purified events, not only do I give the talk, but after the talk, we have a time of Eucharistic adoration uh, where priests are available for confession. Uh, well, I just did one a couple of days ago in New Jersey, and there were 12 priests there um, hearing confession for, you know, the, the whole time. I mean, just a gigantic line of not just the teens going, but mom and dad who might not have been to confession in, in several you know, years or perhaps even decades. And it's good for the kids to see that. Like, okay, even dad needs to tell his father he's sorry. You know, even mom needs to tell her mother the church she's sorry. Like, even they need the graces of the sacraments. And it's a, it's a great time to go to confession with your family, because, like, if you if you don't think you sinned a lot that month, well, you have four people standing next to you that will give you a litany of your imperfections for the last 30 days without missing one. And so it, it's good to go as a family and to be made new. I'm curious on your thoughts on this. Why do you think it's so difficult for parents to talk about um, sex with their children? I mean, well, we talk to I'm our children big... about many things. Why Why is that topic so difficult? Well, I think many, of they, they don't know where to begin. They wonder, is my kid even going to listen to me? Many of these parents never had parents who talked to them about it. So it's just like, hey, if, if we don't say it, then it's not, if we don't talk about it, it's not going to happen. And so they just like, hey, is my kid just going to roll his eyes and bury his head back in their cell phone? But there was a survey done of more than a thousand high school kids, and they asked them, what is the number one factor that shapes your sexual behavior? Is it the music you listen to? Is it your friends? Is it the media? The teen's number one reply was my parents and what they brought me up to believe. And so I always tell the parents, like, get over your insecurities about talking about this stuff. I mean, could it be awkward? Yeah, but 
you know, the awkwardness is part of the authenticity of it. You don't have to have a perfectly canned speech. Just speak from your heart and speak the truth. And, um, you know, it could be awkward. A friend of mine just told him, his kid, how babies are made. And the boy, you know, looked at the dad and said, Dad, oh, you know, how long have people been doing this? <laughs> I said, Tell him the 1960s. And he said, Dad, like, is there any other way? And the dad's like, no, that's pretty much it. You know, so maybe a little bit awkward, but hey, it's okay. It doesn't have to be some perfect, you know, pre-written speech. Just, you know, pray about it. Think about what you want to say. And not just about how babies are made, you know, but throughout life. You know, when a commercial comes on that's inappropriate or you drive by a billboard on your way back home from seventh grade basketball practice and you can tell your kid was looking at it. Okay, well, there's a teachable moment. You know, now we need to, to jump in and talk about custody of the eyes and modesty, and let's let's pray for that that girl on that billboard. Um, you know, we've got to recognize those teachable moments and use them. So, is there a, a misunderstanding of sex after marriage? I mean, I grew up under the the misconception or the the understanding that save yourself for marriage, but then afterwards, you know, have at it. The rules are off. And I'm yeah. discovering, you know, after a decade of marriage, that that's probably not the, the perfect way to be doing things. No, no, that's, you know, that that's the, the confusion of the words abstinence and chastity. You know, abstinence means no sex, but chastity is the use of the gift of our sexuality according to God's plan for it. And so that would involve all, all kinds of things within marriage when you think in terms of, okay, pornography. You know, that's obviously not part of God's plan for human love, so that has no part in marriage. Uh, I think of things like, well, what, what about when it comes time to planning my family? Do we listen to the church and use natural family planning, which is more than 99% effective, or do we prefer an easier and more convenient route of contraception? Well, I'll just do this, you know, what, what can the church know about this stuff, and it's going to be fine. The church doesn't, you know, know the struggles of the married life, you know, which is nonsense. And so do we trust the church with our bodies? Do we trust God? And what I found is, like, in trusting the church and, like, using natural family planning, you know, when we've needed to, that, you know, it taught me that my wife's body's perfectly made. She doesn't need pills and shots and drugs. Like, she just needs to be understood. And if we can understand her fertility, then instead of suppressing her body with kind of chemicals to conform to our desires, we can conform our desires the perfect way her body has already been created. So it's kind of authentic sexual liberation. And, you know, and, and when it comes to this chastity and abstinence, Abstinence is a part of marriage, too. I mean, like it or not, it is. Whether you're traveling or you have an ill or exhausted spouse, sometimes abstinence is a greater expression of love than making love because you're doing what's best for the other person and not simply what feels good in the moment. And so if a husband doesn't learn before marriage that abstinence can be an expression of love, sometimes within marriage, he finds the demands of chastity too great, and he might blame the church or blame his wife oh, well, you're a prude, or you're not available, or you're this, or you're that, and can get petulant and whiny and distant and cold or angry instead of realizing, okay, well, you know, am I, am I loving more than this person's body today? You know, am, am, I, am I doing better than that? Um, and chastity helps kind of bring those things to the surface, and it can be painful and difficult because we're all rough around the edges and we got a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, but we shouldn't be afraid when those faults come at the surface because one of the purposes of marriage is the sanctification of the spouses, and sanctification is often a painful process. It's kind of like you know, an oil comes up to the surface in water. You know, when our faults come up at the surface in marriage, you know, it, it's a time to, of you know patience for each other, and, and more patience, and some more patience. It's difficult to break those wounds of growing up and and changing changing your life for the better. It's it's a it's a process. 
Yeah, it is. And you know what? It's one that doesn't stop either. It's not like, okay, you know, I, I signed my chastity commitment card and I, I haven't looked at pornography in a year. You know, I'm doing great. It's like, well, no, we've, we've got to keep the defenses up around the fortress. Mm-hmm. St. Ignatius of Loyola and his spiritual exercises would talk about um, the state in which the evil one acts toward your soul. And he said one way he works is like a, a military commander that kind of walks around the outside of your fortress and sees where the defenses are weak, and it's there that he attacks to be able to to penetrate and enter in. Um, and so we've got to look at, okay, where am I weak? Because like if I'm bored and lonely and angry and stressed and tired and that those moments of desolation you know that's where he can kind of try to sneak in with these false consolations and sins that are going to make things worse and ignatius also talks about uh, the tempter as kind of like a a false lover that a mistress wants to be kept in secret because once she's exposed the entire affair is ruined and she can only cause the problems as long as she's hidden and in the same respect ignatius says that the temptations that you experience need to not be kept in private. These needs to be shared with a confessor or spiritual director, because when those things are brought to the light, they lose so much of their power, because you've got somebody on your side that's holding you accountable, giving you solid spiritual guidance to be able to be victorious in this fight. So uh, what's your elevator pitch? If somebody jumps in the elevator with you and says, um, hey, who are you? What do you do? And and why should I listen to you? What's your quick pitch to get somebody to come to your event? Yeah, well, if it, it depends if it's a teen or or if it's a if it's an adult. I mean, if it's an adult, they're the ones bringing the teens. You know, basically just say, hey, man, the, the world is literally bombarding your kid at every moment of the day from his cell phones and the average age kids are seeing pornography on the internet is you know nine to eleven years old now. I mean, the kid can't even watch a Super Bowl without being, I mean, just assaulted with all this imagery that we don't need in our imaginations. Like, hey, what are we doing for our young people to teach them the difference between love and lust, teach them the difference between authentic human love and using another human being? Because marriage preparation doesn't start, you know, when you're six months away from your wedding day and you start sending out invitations. No, marriage preparation, Pope Francis said, begins at birth. And so what we got to do right now is marriage prep for 15-year-olds and vocational prep of like, you know, what does it mean to, to, to humanly love? What is the purpose of dating? When should dating even begin? Kids want to know answers to this stuff. Parents want their kids to have straight answers to these tough questions. And that's why we're traveling around doing these, these missions in the parishes. You know, we've got to bring the family together as a unit because, you know, God chose the Holy Family as the instrument of redemption in the world. That's how he brought redemption into the world, was through the Holy Family. And God doesn't want to change his ways. You know, he needs Holy Families now more than ever in the world. And so if we can practice this virtue of chastity and authentic love, uh, we'll be a, a big step forward and be able to live out that vocation as a family. So as a lifelong Catholic, I've I've heard some form of this message a time or two, but is there a way we can encourage non-Catholics to, to attend? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the human heart is made for love, regardless of what denomination you go to or do not even go to on Sundays. And so I'll, I'll, I do speak not only at the Catholic schools, but at evangelical schools. Uh, we'll do a public school presentations and universities. We've done it at Harvard, Princeton, Air Force, and Naval Academies, and we take out all the religious content. Uh, most of the presentation isn't religious in nature. It's more just the, of the human heart. Uh, and I tie the religious elements in there. Um, but it doesn't matter what your background is. You're made for love. God created you. He is love. He created you for love. 
not only to receive it, but to know how to give that. And so lots of people who come to these assemblies are not necessarily Catholic. I even spoke to one Catholic high school overseas once that was 95% Muslim, and the kids were extremely receptive to the message. So regardless of your faith background, the doors are wide open, and we invite everybody to come. Thank you, Jason, for your – do you have any other questions? No, look, okay. look forward to meeting you. Maybe yes. – uh, I don't know if we'll have time for to get a CrossFit workout in or not, but uh, look oh, forward to seeing that'd you. That'd be fun. Oh, that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. No, I – I enjoy that stuff. Need to when you got eight kids like we have, you need to keep keep up on those Metcons and AMRAPs and all that kind of stuff. Keep your your cardio level going. You got it. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Jason. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I just ask you guys and any listeners to please please pray for all the people we speak to. Will do. Will do. Thanks. God bless. So Tucker, that was a great interview with Jason. You think? Yeah, he's he he can ramble uh, with the best of them, and he knows so much about this topic. Yeah, I think you know. I'm a grandparent. I would like to go and just um, sit in just to hear what he has to say, and probably because I I'm in media and I'm just curious and would like to share that message, you know, wherever I can. So I think I might uh, just kind of sit in the back there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as as parents, we're the primary educators, uh, whether it's education or sex ed or um, fitness and eating and things. Uh, we're teaching our kids, but they're learning from from grandparents as well. So if uh, if my parents weren't watching our kids that night, they'd probably be there as well. So um, tell us about the event, where it is, the time, how people can register. Yes, uh, Immaculate Heart of Mary is hosting for us. It's at 7 p.m. on Monday, March 30th. This is the Monday that all the kids will be back from spring break. Mm. So um, it's also very close to the start of Lent. It will be in the middle of Lent then. So it'll be a good um, opportunity as as something to to do for your Lenten sacrifice. Right. And uh, it's a two-hour event. Seven to eight is when Jason will be will be talking and presenting, and then from eight to nine we'll have Eucharistic adoration and confession available uh, for those who would like to do that. Uh, and so we're inviting anybody and everybody uh, to get their tickets bought early. Um, we need to know how many students you're bringing, whether they are boys or girls, and how many parents and adults are attending as well. Uh, the tickets are $20 a piece per, per person, so per child, per adult. Um, you can get physical tickets at Immaculate Heart of Mary, or you can go to um, chastity.com and find the event there and purchase your tickets online as well. Either way uh, works. But with your tickets, uh, you will be getting, we call them swag bags, um, and you'll be getting materials to take home with you to follow up with. Uh, This event is going to be life-changing, and and if there's no follow-up at home um, with the the necessary materials and books and things like that, um, then it may not stick as well as as it would otherwise. Right. And after hearing Jason talk, you're going to want to read the book, right? (laughs) Yeah. He's got several books out, I was going to say, um, these are books that he's written, and it's just a small sampling of all the books that he's written on this topic. So go to Immaculate Heart of Mary to get your tickets or chastity.com, correct? Correct. And is there a deadline for signing up? We need to have the numbers to them so that they bring enough uh, 
stuff for the swag bag so that they can have them. Um, and we we're we're going to try to sell the event out so there may not be tickets available at the door. Um, but we're we're going to try to get the word out and let people know as the event gets closer uh, how many tickets are available and things like that. So and Immaculate Heart of Mary holds a lot of people, so we can. It's it's several thousand. It's a thousand, a thousand. I think. So okay. we'd like to sell out, but we've got um, tickets already being sold in uh, Victoria, in Salina. There are people traveling uh, to Hayes uh, from Salina to come watch uh, that evening's already. So uh, get your tickets bought. Yep, sounds great. Thank you, Tucker, for being here today and being in on the interview with um, Jason. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate your time. God bless. Thanks for listening to this week's One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. If you have a comment about today's show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the One Body icon. The comment button is in the middle of the page. Please, folks, get your tickets to the Purified event March 30th at Immaculate Heart of Mary in Hayes as soon as possible before tickets are sold out. Tickets can be obtained at the office at Immaculate Heart of Mary in Hayes or by going to ihm-church.com. That's ihm-church.com. This event is geared for teens and their parents, but anyone who interacts with teens is invited. Teachers, youth directors, grandparents are encouraged to attend. Also, as Tucker noted in this show, you do not need to be Catholic to attend. God, through His love, created you, knitted you together in your mother's womb. You are made for love. So, please consider attending this awesome event. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KVDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and very soon, KJDM 101.7 in Salina. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. One body, stewarding God's creation.